Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Matt Smith and Will Peterson this morning in for Chad and Nate. It's the Scrapmeister, the Scrapperini, <laughs> the Scrappinator. How you doing today, Will? Oh, I'm doing well, man. We are uh, on hour 47 of Nazem Kadri watch. So. You know what? I was just doing the math in my head, too. That's so funny that you said that because I was just doing the math. I was like, okay, we got like one more hour left to go. That's 48 hours. All right. All right. Well, this thing's dragging on now, Will. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because NHL free agency is is not like the NBA or the NFL where it can go on for weeks and big names will remain out there. Normally, this is a 24-hour process. Right. And with Kadri, this has turned into day three. I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm sort of on the addicted to Twitter phase. I mean, I'm always addicted to Twitter. Right. But especially yeah, no, you're constantly now, checking. Yeah. It's a refresh every Two, three minutes. Like, it, right. it's a, you know, alarms going off this morning, and I'm waking up a half hour before it because I'm just like, oh, maybe there was Nazem Kadri news. It's right. not healthy. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, and it's what everyone's waiting for right now, right, Will? Because, and it's not just us in Denver. It's pretty much the whole NHL world. You know, there's been some guys that have been picked up, but... At this point, he is the last big fish out there, and there are several teams in pursuit of him. But I, I, I wonder, Will, early impressions, do you think he might have overplayed the market just a little bit? I, I've considered that, especially because he may have told his agent, get everyone involved, right? Those were the reports we saw. But we also saw reports he only wanted to play for a contender. So is he trying to get the Anaheim Ducks involved to drive the price up with no intention of playing for them. Right, exactly, and, and Will. Did, and did teams start to figure that game out, and all of a sudden, I don't know, 22 of them said, yeah, we're not interested either because, A, we're not a contender, or, B, we're not going to get played like that. And then it dwindled, and then yesterday you heard the reports from our own Adrian Dater, well, maybe Kadri wants to come back to Colorado. And was that a product of... He just woke up 24 hours later and thought, I love Denver. I want to stay. Guess what? He already knew he loved Denver. You saw him at the parade. He he was very clear he loved Denver. I think Denver the, loved him back. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I think the market changed. And so that's why the, the leaks came from wherever they came from that, oh, well, he does love Denver and he does want to be back with the Avalanche. So I, I'm not going to say he overplayed his hand, Matt, but I think the, the Kadri camp went in with one expectation – and the reality of what happened is is pretty starkly different. What about you? Well, yeah, I don't know that I meant overplayed his hand. I meant overplayed the market, meaning that he anticipated a bigger market and some bigger offers, and they just never came, right? And so maybe early on, he did get those offers from the teams you're talking about, maybe your Anaheims or your Arizona or a Seattle, and he tried to use that as leverage to come back to the Avalanche. I mean, that's also a possibility where he's like, hey, look, you know, Arizona wants to pay me $10.5 million. You guys just give me 8 you know what I mean? Like, I, I could see that also having been the case. So, you know, we'll see. As we know 
right now, Will, the Avs have $3.9 million in cap space. And the latest reports per Adrian Dater of ColoradoHockeyNow.com, obviously our fans avalanche insider, is that last night Calgary started to push hard for Nazem Kadri, and there were unconfirmed reports that they came in with a seven-year, $9.5 million deal, which I don't know about you, Will, but I, I don't really buy that because I feel like if that deal was on the table, he'd probably be on his way across the border right now. Yeah, seven years, $9.5 I mean, obviously the guy's made a lot of money, but that's... I mean, but that's what we heard, though, right? We heard possibly 8 to $10 million. Right, but it's... Again, we're now 48 hours in. There's not a lot of exactly. teams that have the room to hand out that kind of deal. So if he didn't take it, I think it shows you his disdain for Calgary. Remember, when he was in Toronto, he vetoed a trade to the Flames. So he doesn't necessarily want to play for the Calgary Flames. At least he didn't earlier in his career. And now he may be having those same sort of thoughts. And the other funny one, Matt, is you keep hearing Detroit. Well, Detroit just signed David Perron. And I don't know after what Perron did to Kadri in the playoffs if he really wants to be that guy's teammate either. Now, I understand it's they shook hands afterwards and all of that, but the more you rewatched what that looked like in Well, game, they signed they signed Perron and Andrew Kopp, so they already got their center. I think Detroit is off the table firmly now at this point, uh-huh. which is why which is why to this point it's like, hey, you know, a bunch of teams have also signed other centers, and that space is dwindling now, so your options are probably more limited than they were at the beginning of this process. Right. I, I guess the window between Perron and Cobb, I don't know exactly what it was, but my point is Nazem Kadri's got a lot of enemies around the league. He's got a lot of cities he doesn't want to play in and a lot of players he doesn't want to play with. Don't you think that makes the Avalanche look all that much more tempting? Oh. It is time, Will. It is that time for the next word in our fast lane to Cheyenne. We're giving away the grand prize of the year with tickets to Jason Aldean, Dirk Bentley, Kid Rock, Nelly, Brooks and Dunn, and several more at Cheyenne Frontier Days. Your next word is ready. That's ready. Again, your word is ready. Listen to Stokely and Zach later today for your next word to be in the fast lane to Cheyenne, Will. And, yeah, I mean, that's the exact opposite of what this Nazem Kadri situation is. It is not in the fast lane, Will. We, we've got a traffic jam here on I-25, and we're bumper to bumper at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I know, you, I know you had to give that word out, but I, I guess the, the question stands. It is the Are the Avalanche the most tempting team for him Because, again, he doesn't want to go to something that's unknown, given his history, given his relationship with with certain cities, with certain players around the league. And is there a comfort factor that as we reach day three of this cadre cadre watch that makes the avalanche that much more tempting for him to just resign and then them to work out a trade, whether that be a Sam Gerrard or a JT Confer, restructure with Eric Johnson, something like that? No, oh, no question. No question. As this process draws on, like I mentioned earlier, the the options will be further limited. And for the Avalanche, we know that he has I think he has an affinity for the area now, and he's made it known to the Avs that he'd like to be back if they can make it work. And the Avs told his agent that call us before you do anything so we can really think this over and make sure that we can't possibly match it if it sounds like we can do that, right? Now, we do know, Will, 
at that $3.9 million, here is the thing. The Avs can spend up to $90 million this offseason. The $82 million hard cap does not take place until the puck drops on the first game of the season. So you can possibly be over the cap and then work this summer to try and shed some of it. But as we have seen with Vegas and Tampa... A lot of times, Will, that ends up in cap-crunching situations where you have to move more guys than you anticipated, and over time, it starts to build on you. For the Avalanche, I imagine they'd want to do it the right way and clear space before you know, possibly retaining Kadri. So I think it's interesting because we talk about options being limited. The other options that are limited, Will, are Kadri backup options. Right. And to your point, I would have thought just sign him, get him signed, and then deal with the repercussions, the trades later. But that was when I felt like there was a sense of urgency with Kadri. And that sense of urgency, Matt, has kind of disappeared. That first Wednesday, you know, just two days ago, Mm. feels like it was two weeks ago, there was a new deal every five minutes. And we were just waiting for Kadri to drop because, let's be honest, who dropped? Lekkanen dropped. Manson dropped an hour before. Burkowski to Seattle dropped. Kemper to Washington dropped. Like, they were coming one after another. And we were all just waiting for that next domino. But I think at this point, we're all sort of like, well, maybe the urgency with Kadri isn't there. I mean, he doesn't ha- there's no rule that he has to sign today. Right. This could right. lead into the weekend. This could That's go what I'm saying. Into next Treat week. it like a recruiting trip, Will. We're going around. You're going to wine and dine me. Like, why can't he do what NBA free agents do? I, I instantly thought the same thing. That's not something that you typically hear. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to the, fl- you know, I'm going to the flames. I'm coming back to the abs. No, 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 no. Wine and dine me. Let me come out to Seattle. Let me come out to Arizona. Take me to the desert. You know what I mean? Like, like show me around. So I, I do want to ask you this real quick. If they are going to re-sign Kadri, you anticipate a trade will precede that? Yeah, I mean, it has to at the moment in time unless they want to play cap gymnastics, which I know they don't want to do. They only have $3.9 million left. And the reason I think there might be a shred of truth to that report coming out of Calgary, right? It's like, well, if it's 7 times 9.5, why hasn't he signed it yet? But Calgary does have $18 million in cap space after losing Johnny Gaudreau to Columbus, right? right. <laughs> so, so they also have to figure out what they're going to do about Matthew Kachuk. I think that's a big, big part of this for Calgary is Matthew Kachuk's a restricted free agent this year and in my opinion I think he went to them and said look I'm not going to sign with you if you don't do anything to replace this guy right like give me some help we were one of the best teams in the Western Conference and we're just going to let Goudreau walk out the door you know and we know they offered Goudreau a ton of money so they have that money to give in a contract so I do think that there is some heavy competition here but Will I would be really surprised if this draws on past today and we may even hear while we're on on air here. All right, I hope you're right. I'm just I felt that way for two days, so I'm starting to have my uh, radar go down a little bit. But maybe the antennas need to to go patience. back up. I, I patience, feel, young Jedi. Patience. I feel like Brian Windhorse. You know all the Brian Windhorse memes right now. Like what is going on? Like I'm kind of pointing my fingers to the air. Like what is going on with Nazem Kadri? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's starting to get a little weird, Matt. I'm not going to lie. Well. We hope that the Avalanche dole out some money to him, but the Nuggets have been busy doling out money. We'll tell you who they paid, how much they paid, and if they made the right decision. That's next on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. It is Matt Smith filling in for Chad and Nate, and it is Scrappy Will Peterson, who's my co-pilot today. Will, you got big plans for the weekend? 
You know, I, I think I'm going to play play some golf. Um, Ooh. Ooh. B- but, Matt, I will How's say... How's the game right now? I will say this, Matt, that... Uh, well, first of all, the game is, is rough. Is but- it? Because I got to tell you, like, I need a partner so when I finally get healthy, we can just put these old guys to shame. So you better tune up because I watched the video of the fan match challenge, and that's just, I mean, that's money for the taking right there, Will. That's all that is. No, it is. The the match kind of got me inspired, but I will say this. First of all, it's going to be 1,000 degrees, and it's going to be 1,000 degrees for the foreseeable future. Like, like when you pull up your weather app, everyone kind of looks for that day where it's like, oh, it's low 80s. Oh, yeah, maybe a little rain in the afternoon. We we don't have that day. Uh, So it's going to be 1,000 degrees, and I'm going to be a little bit of a golf snob here. So you're just going to have to hear me out. That's all right. Weekend golf is fun, but it truly can turn into the five-and-a-half-hour round from nowhere. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. That's not being a golf snob. That's just being like a golfer. No one wants to play on the weekends. You're in for a four-hour round behind foursomes at every course. You know, that's just kind of how it goes. You know that going in? Dude, if I finished in four on a Saturday at a public course around here, I would be pumped. I would be. I'm telling you. Well, you better play better. Then you can just play through. See, but that's where I'm kind of kind of be the snob. It's not me. It's the guy in front of me who's taken 19 practice swings so that he can duff his third ball in a row into the woods. So here's here's how I always did it. I always played twilight golf on the weekends because then you just you make sure you're one of the final groups on the course and you just cruise. Because at that point you've got all the old folks who've went home, they're golfing in the morning, right? You know what I mean? Like a bunch of a bunch of families and stuff go out during the day and then in the afternoon, A, it's cheaper and then you just cruise. Like you get st- sometimes you just start on the back, you go up to the, you know, the clubhouse, you say, "Hey, you know, nobody's off the back right now. Can I just jump out of there?" You know what I mean? And and sometimes it'll work out. Boy, I miss it though. I tell you what, I really miss it. The Nuggets Will were doling out money once again, and it was a contract that I'm very curious to get your thoughts on because I have my own feelings on it. Uh, the Denver Nuggets signed Contavious Caldwell Pope to an extension. He had one year left on his deal. I think it was around $14 million, and they signed him to a two-year $30 million extension over uh, the last few days here, Will. And I'm curious, first of all, to get your thoughts on it overall before we get into you know them possibly trying to avoid the past, maybe. Yeah, I, I look, if you're going to trade two starters, Matt, which they did, now, would Monte Morris and Will Barton be starters this coming year? Probably not, because you would have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. start in those positions. But they traded two starters from a season ago for Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith. If you're going to get rid of 40% of your starting roster, you better make sure that the asset you are getting in return, which in this case the main one was KCP, is around for a little bit longer. And the worst-case scenario, and Granted, I don't care about trading Will Barton. I think this is a major upgrade from Will Barton. But to lose Monte Morris and then KCP to walk next summer would have been devastating. Monte Morris could have been the backup point guard in this town for the next well, 10 years. You're playing it fast and loose with the word devastating. I'm just saying, like, like come on. To give it's up KCP. Monte Morris, a, a championship potential point guard, a, okay. a backup point guard? Like, okay. I think Monte Morris behind Jamal Murray for... For 20 minutes a game, this is more of a commentary on Monte than it is on KCP, Matt. You can't okay. you can't give up what you gave up to yes, just watch him walk out the door. That's what I'm getting at. I'm not okay. saying KCP's yeah. a, a world right. beater, but if okay. you're going to make the commitment to KCP right. and trade Monte Morris, then you got to assure he's around for a little bit of time. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I know. I also think that 
could also be a contract that you then have $14 million in cap space the next year when you're in a win-now mode and you have, you know, that's an extra 14 right there. So I, I don't really agree because when you're looking at Contavious Caldwell-Pope, this is a guy who's, you know, been with the Lakers, been with the Pistons. Now he was in Washington last year, right? Like he's got some championship experience in the bubble, right? And he's played with the Lakers. But outside of that, you know, this is a guy who has been inconsistent throughout his career. Now he's had some, he had a decent year last year. I wouldn't call it a great year, but he's been a malcontent. He was a malcontent in Washington under Wes Unseld. He was fighting an assistant coach in the tunnel, begging for more shots. Like this is a guy who was not happy with his role last year. Now, maybe things change because he's on a team that should win more games this year, and it certainly won't be you know, frustrating, but he was not happy in the culture of, well, it could be a different guy every single night. So I have my concerns here. And again, it's the Nuggets not making someone prove it. Like, if Contavious Caldwell-Pope has a good year, what happens? What happens? I mean, the Nuggets don't have a good chance to sign him. No, he goes and year? gets paid by someone else. That's what happens. How That's much what happened with Jeremy no, Grant. He's not. He's an older guy in his career. He's not. What he he will never make more than twenty million a year. He could have the best year of his career, and he will never make more than twenty million. You're not going to talk about Contavious Caldwell Pope walking for like a twenty-five million, thirty million dollar contract. That would never. No, happen. he's not going to be a max player. But your your initial point, Matt, was well, if they let him walk, they have fourteen million in cap space. Well, name me the last big time free agent, and I'm talking big time. Right, that but they would have the more on Nuggets. top. Fourteen million additional is is the way I should have said. It's been it. twenty would've... years, Matt. It's been right, twenty but, years since a big time free agent. But now they the have Nuggets, a back to back Kenyon MVP. Martin. But now they have a back to back MVP. Will that's the difference. And if they had cap space this year, they probably could have gone after some bigger name free agents. Like I, I get where you're coming from, but this is also part of how they've team built. Now I like his fit here, but for me, I don't understand this extension right now. I just don't. I, I will. I won't. And and I understand your point about it. But he's not gonna walk for a huge deal. And if he does, that's a guy you can replace. Like that's not an unreplaceable guy. Jeremy Grant was a six eight six nine wing who could play defense, put the ball on the floor, get to the rim. He could shoot from three. Like, that's a guy who is really valuable. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, you hope, is the Kmart version of that. But didn't they get burned by Jeremy Grant? Isn't that kind of where this conversation is going? That Jeremy Grant, they traded a first-round pick for him. They go down to the bubble. They make the Western Conference Finals with Jeremy Grant. They offer Jeremy Grant three years and $60 million, at least reportedly, and he takes three years and $60 million from the Detroit Pistons. He would rather live in Detroit than in Denver? Right, but you have to look at it contextually, right? Jeremy Grant wanted the chance to prove that he could be a number one option. Then he got traded to Portland. Jeremy Grant would much rather still be in Detroit. I can promise you that. That wasn't all of what that was about. Jeremy Grant was a guy who wanted to prove he could be a max player in this league. Contavious Caldwell-Pope will never be that guy. He knows that. I know that. You know that. Other teams know that. So for me, what I'm saying, Will, is while it's not going to hamper them, I understand what they're trying to do. They once again paid early because they were afraid of what you just mentioned. And in my opinion, this isn't a guy to do that with. And now you locked up $15 million additional cap space for next year. While I will say, if Calvin Booth is as aggressive as they tell us he's going to be, then he should be able to go out and get some free agents. And if you have $15 million in additional cap space, when you look at the you know free agent class of next offseason – there's some interesting names on there. So for me, I do not like the move, but at the same time, I also am not 
so critical of it to the point where I'm like, well, you know, this makes absolutely no sense. Calvin Booth's the wrong guy. It's like, okay, I get it. It's kind of a move out of fear of repeating the past. And no, I don't believe what happened to Jeremy Grant is what happened to is what could happen here. But to your point, you know, looking back on it, would you rather have paid Jeremy Grant right now a little bit more money? Probably will. Absolutely. I think Jeremy Grant could fit really well on this team. Their best stretch with Nikola Jokic of his entire career in Denver was in the bubble where Jeremy Grant was arguably their second best player. Uh, Well, I should say third. You know, obviously Jamal Murray was the second best, but Jeremy Grant was their third best player down there. He was a bigger part of a big three than Michael Porter Jr. That's how key Jeremy Grant was. So I I think, yeah, you should have, if Detroit wanted to pay him three years 60, then you should have given him four years 90 or something like that. Looks but, better than the Aaron Gordon contract right now, seriously. I think, if we're going to be honest, yeah. But, but Matt, you said that Calvin Booth is going to be aggressive and get free agents. Well, that's what they said. I'm okay. repeating what they've said. Okay. Yeah, I don't know but, that's going to be Tim the case. But could Tim Connolly get free agents? Could Arturis Karnasovas get free agents? Could Masai Ujiri get free agents? He can in Chicago. I know, Arturis. I just rattled off the last three GMs right. of the Nuggets, though. Right. One who's running the Timberwolves, one who's running the Bulls, and one who's running the Raptors. But none of those guys had the recruiting factor of a back-to-back MVP. Even Tim Connolly didn't because he was out before he got the check at the end of the year. Like, now Calvin Booth has that. He needs the resources to go recruit with that. That's all I'm saying. But Bill. if the That's three previous guys are now running NBA teams, that's 10% of the league, three out of 30 who ran the Denver Nuggets, are now running other teams. Calvin Booth's going to be the best one yet if he can get free agents here. And I'm not saying he can't, but if Calvin Booth is better than Connolly and Karnasovis and Masai, who are running three good teams, then wow, the Nuggets are just uh, very, very good at attracting front office talent because that would be their fourth guy in 10 years. Let's hope so, Will. I mean, let's hope so. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just repeating what they've told us. Now, I also believe that what we've seen is a willingness to go upgrade certain positions. So we'll see. I mean, there's tons to get to as the offseason draws along. The Nuggets are, of course, in Vegas competing in Summer League. Interesting stuff going on with Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, kind of two young guys trying to find their way, you know, as they start their pro careers. So we also actually have another Nuggets update, which we'll swing back to a little bit later. It involves Jamal Murray, and I'm curious to get your thoughts there. Nazem Kadri, it is we're heading into day three now, Will. We are barreling towards it in the cadre watch, as you called it. And we're waiting. We're waiting patiently by the phone, waiting for that call. But coming up next, there's one distinction that has eluded Russell Wilson in his 10-year career. I'll tell you what it is. It's Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. Zero hour. 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. Matt Smith and Will Peterson in for Chad and Nate this morning on this Friday. Will, we spoke about an aspect of Russell Wilson's achievement badge, I guess, his sash, the one badge he doesn't have over his 10-year career, and 
the 33rd team, which is a site that compiles uh, a lot of, you know, former athletes, former NFL players, former coaches and things like that and gets their and gets their take on things. They have listed Russell Wilson as the dark horse to win the MVP this season. He's got the seventh best odds at plus 1600. The 33rd team says Russell Wilson has yet to claim an NFL MVP trophy in his 10 year career. Yet Wilson has only missed the Pro Bowl once. No longer will the public beg Pete Carroll to let Russ cook. Wilson should find himself in an offensive environment more conducive to his deep throwing skill set with Nathaniel Hackett under the helm. It's really interesting to me because we have very high expectations, Will, but you and I personally have never spoken about what your expectations are for this Broncos season. So, you know, those are very lofty ones as the MVP dark horse. But to you, where where are your expectations right now for this Denver Broncos season? Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, he's got the 16 to 1 odds. The ones I'm looking at are, are similar, and he's the eighth best odds or the eighth favorite to win MVP. So the the word dark horse, I, I don't know if that's a very fair when you're number eight on the list. Like Nikola Jokic two years ago to win MVP was probably a dark horse when he was 50 to one. Russell Wilson at 14, 16 to one, uh, at least the odds makers uh, are saying it may not be all that crazy if it happens. But expectations for the Broncos, Matt, I, I, I think the Peyton Manning comparisons are a little too easy because that happened 10 years ago and it was a guy who had played his whole career with one team. He had won a Super Bowl there. He had made a ton of Pro Bowls. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Russell Wilson did. He had been in Seattle 10 years. He had played in two Super Bowls. He had won one. Honestly, probably should have won two. And he's made nine Pro Bowls in 10 years. There are a lot of similarities. And Peyton Manning came in and the first month was not real pretty. And then they rattled off an unbelievable 11-game winning streak, and if it weren't for Raheem Moore in one of the flukiest plays in Denver sports history, they probably would have won the Super Bowl. So I look at... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, what I was going to say, so I look at, uh, and I listen to to Tyler Columbus on the drive every day, and he just says, well, it's not a Super Bowl window quite yet. And and I just sort of want to say to Tyler, why? Why is it not won quite yet? Because when Peyton Manning got here, yeah, the first month wasn't pretty... And then it was why, absolutely Tyler, why and why and it was absolutely a Super Bowl window. Matt, they should have won the Super Bowl in Peyton Manning's first year. Again, it was the the most painful play in Denver sports history that potentially prevented them from winning a Super Bowl in 2012 when they had Von Miller and they had Elvis Dumerville, and, and and the ball goes over Raheem Moore's head and he looks like the little leaguer trying to catch it and it just it's it's so painful still a decade later. But that's my way of saying, Matt that I think they're in a Super Bowl window because I've seen it with my own two eyes happen in the very first year of a new quarterback, a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Denver, Colorado, 10 years ago. So I, I listen to Tyler say, not quite yet, and I say, why not? Like, see, seize the moment, seize the opportunity. If they go win 12, 13 games, well, then get it done in the playoffs. So I, I think the window is open. I think Russell Wilson MVP stuff is obviously lofty, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And I am bullish on these Denver Broncos. How about yourself? Three out of the last four quarterbacks to change teams after recording 250-plus touchdowns with their initial team have gone on to win the Super Bowl. here's Here's a trivia question. Here's a trivia question to the text line. Who was the quarterback that has not 
won the Super Bowl. Three out of the last four QBs to change teams after recording 250-plus touchdowns with their initial team have gone on to win the Super Bowl. It backs up your argument, but I'm curious, on the RamosLaw.com text line 303-713-1043, if anybody can get the only quarterback not to have done that. So, yes, Will, there is precedent for it, right? There is precedent, and even so early on, you're absolutely right. One could make the argument that that was the most dynamic team that they had had, Will, in Peyton's time. I kind of wanted to get back to the 33rd piece because they give some really interesting reasons why they think Russ could be so successful in Denver. They say, under Nathaniel Hackett, the Packers attempted 98 more passes than the Seahawks in 21. Wilson posted the second highest PFF season grade and completed 10.3 more passes on play-action passes in 2021, a strength that the Broncos coaching staff is likely to maximize, Will. And we know that this is a receiving core probably deeper than he's ever had in his career, Will. James and I yesterday went through who we think is going to be the guy to separate themselves. But really, you could make an argument for one of three guys. And that's probably more you, more than you could say for at any point in Wilson's career thus far. Yeah, no doubt. You you look at, obviously, he had Lockett and Metcalf. And if, if you go back a little bit, he had Jermaine Curse. Like he, he, well, he, Doug Baldwin, right? Yeah, yeah, Baldwin. And, you know, uh, it's it's a group that is serviceable, but it's not a group that has the potential of this Broncos receiver. And, it's, and I think that's what we're getting at a little bit. And just to, to do one more Manning comparison, when he got here, Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas were good, right? Demarius Thomas had the, the signature play of the 80-yard touchdown in overtime from Tim Tebow against the Steelers. And Eric Decker caught one from Tebow in Arrowhead. I think it was the day Tebow had two completions. But neither guy was great yet. And Manning right. made both of them great. Right. I mean, Demarius Thomas, arguably the greatest receiver in Broncos history. Eric Decker, a couple really good years here, and he went and got a huge payday from the New York Jets. And that's what Peyton Manning did. I mean, Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, they were household names because of Peyton Manning. Now, were they great players? Of course. But did they largely benefit from playing with Manning for a good chunk of their careers? Absolutely. And that's what Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton can do. They can take this leap from, hey, word names that people sort of know because they maybe picked us up in fantasy or, or, or Judy, in his case, played at Alabama, first-round pick, but they haven't done anything uh, uh, of significant note in the NFL. And now Russell Wilson can do for them what Peyton Manning did for guys like Eric Decker. And I just see a lot of potential from these three receivers, particularly from Cortland Sutton. I'm not saying Interesting. he's... Yeah, I'm not saying he's baby DT, but th- there are just so many elements of his game and the, and the size that remind me so much of the late, great Demarius Thomas yeah, that yeah, I know I, like that. I, I know Jerry Judy's getting the hype and the headlines and it's going to be the Jerry Judy breakout year and he may have a very good year, Matt, but to me, Cortland Sutton is still clearly the best wide receiver on this football team. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. He's the most proven, right, the most established, that's for sure. And if you're looking at Sutton, I mean, clearly you think that last year had a lot to do with the ACL rehab. Do you think that's the case, Will, and that we're going to see a guy in his second year off that injury? And, Will, that's what they always say about ACL injuries is that really it takes you a year, and that second year, like the, the second season back in the NBA from the ACL tear, that's the year where you really start to feel like yourself again. So, 
I, I, I hope you're right. And in order for, for you to be right, Cortland Sutton does have to have some bit of a bounce back from that, don't you think? Yeah, no doubt. He tore that thing in Pittsburgh, I believe, in week two of 2020. Yeah. And then he was back out there for camp uh, late July last year. And, yeah, he was a little limited. But we were all watching him, and we're like, he's kind of hobbled. He's he's still not right. And that never got better as the season went on, you you kept waiting to see the the big Cortland Sutton game of okay he's he's totally healed and we we never saw it. So to your point, if it takes two years in the NBA, well then this is year two in the NFL for for Sutton coming off the ACL. So I expect big things not only because his quarterback play has been significantly upgraded, but because his health should be that much better as well. Do you think? I want to ask you this: Do you think that the the Judy hype is based on the fact that he's been so disappointing in the first two seasons that people are grasping he's going to be that much better? Or do you think that Russell Wilson will make that big of a difference for a guy who literally had, had Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater who can barely crack the top 40 QBs in the entire NFL throwing him the ball? Is he a guy who absolutely needs an elite quarterback for his true skill set to come out? I do think he is because he's really fast. And I heard Schlera talking about him this morning. It's like, yeah, Judy's open, but he's a couple yards late out of his break. Look, you know, I, I watched plenty of tape myself last year, and there were tons of missed opportunities I saw from Broncos quarterbacks. And I don't think you can accurately judge Jerry Judy based upon the talent that he's had, quite frankly. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was the most competent quarterback that he's seen so far, and Teddy wasn't great with getting rid of the ball quick, right? We always saw that big old loop. If you want to play, with Jerry Judy and maximize Jerry Judy, you got to get it there on the button, you know? And Drew Locke, yeah, he had a great arm, but he'd overthrow you by 5, 10 yards, or he'd underthrow you by 5, 10 yards, or hell, will he throw it to the other team? So, you know, when I look at it, I don't think we've been able to accurately judge Jerry Judy yet. And heading into his third season, I do believe that this is a guy with probably, and arguably, I should say arguably is probably the better way to say it, the most to prove on this Broncos team because if he does not have a successful season, if we see the drops continue, if we see him continue to have attitude issues, right, which he shouldn't, Will, he shouldn't at all. It's about winning. That's what matters. Winning solves everything. And if they win, he will be a part of the contributing factor to those wins. So for me, I think we will see a different Jerry Judy. Now, we do have to be concerned because he's been banged up this summer, right? Soft tissue issues this summer. Tissue issues. He's got some some nagging injuries, so hopefully by training camp, he can start to be on the mend, and, and I'd imagine, Will, that he probably sees a limited role in some of these preseason games to avoid anything like that possibly reoccurring. Yeah, you can't rush him back because when he's he's on the sidelines in minicamp or in street clothes because he's already battling something, then what's the point of, of playing him in week one of the preseason against the Cowboys? There is none. I, I think to bring this thing full circle, Matt, if Russell Wilson is going to win the MVP, that obviously means that the Stars have aligned and the Broncos have won 12 or 13 games and Wilson's throwing 40-plus touchdown passes. I get all of that. But obviously, if that happens, that means guys like Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton are everything they were cracked up to be. And that would be a really good sign for the Broncos, too. Because not only did you get the quarterback, but he's not winning MVP unless these receivers are certainly perennial pro bowlers and potential all pros. So if he was to win the biggest individual award in the NFL, that would not only be a great thing for him, 
that would mean they have a receiving core that is capable of winning a Super Bowl, and that in itself would obviously be a massive win, too. The 33rd team finishes the piece saying that Sutton and Judy provide Wilson with a young, complimentary receiving duo. On the ground, Williams and Gordon will generate one of the league's most relentless rushing attacks. Overall, Russell Wilson is a quarterback who can deliver in many ways. And a change of scenery could be all that Wilson needed to see an outburst in his passing production. Well, I'm sure I'd love to see that, Will, and I know you'd love to see that as they have named him their dark horse for the MVP award in this season. Would be the first of Russell Wilson's career. We're still on Cadre Watch. We're, we're watching The Wire right now, making sure that we're not missing anything. Don't, don't, don't worry about that. And on the text line, tons of responses to that little trivia question that we had thrown out earlier. We'll get to that on the other side, that answer. And NFL.com has released their State of the Broncos, Will. They have released three key dates that they believe will be defining moments in this Broncos season. And I'm curious to see if you agree. We'll figure that out next. It's Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com.